Houston, contact with a test one. He created the stars. He created the mountains. He created the seas. And he, the creator of the universe, created me. Church, you guys doing well this morning? Good? Kind of? Sort of good? I uh, want to welcome our Appleton campus, our online campus today. Germantown, can we give a huge round of applause to everybody? My name is, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and uh, my title is executive pastor, and sometimes I get people that ask me, what does that mean? And uh, I'm, I'm like, I, I don't know exactly. All I know is uh, it, a lot of what I do is, is the, a lot of the business and finance, uh, things like that. Occasionally get an opportunity uh, like this to speak on the weekends and always thrilled uh, to do that. Um, actually, Amanda and I uh, started here at Life Church almost nine years ago. And pretty hard to believe uh, that it's been that long, um, and I'm very thankful. Uh, for Pastor Aaron and Tammy that kind of took a chance on a couple of kids uh, to come and be the youth pastor. A lot has, a lot has happened, a lot has changed uh, since then. And a couple auditoriums later, uh, here we are. And so we're just, just honored to be a part of the team. Really think the best is yet to come. And I hope we're on the team for years and years and years to come. Great church. We love being a part of Life Church. And so I want to read today out of Ephesians chapter 5. And if you want to turn to your, your Bibles there, uh, we are in a series called I Am His, and really we're looking at, uh, we're just walking through the book of Ephesians, and the book of Ephesians is kind of finding our identity in Christ, and so every week, I, I actually don't know what week we're on, it might be like nine or ten, something in, in that ballpark, uh, but we're kind of wrapping it up here in a few weeks, and so Ephesians chapter 5 uh, verses 1 through 20. I want to take a moment and just read through all 20 verses. I know that's a little bit, you know, that's a length, a uh, decent length of Scripture. Um, but I'll read through all of it, and then we'll kind of co come back through it a little bit and highlight a few things. And so here we go. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all those who disobey him. At that exact moment last night, thunder struck and shook the entire building, and I'm not joking. Um, the anger of God will fall on those who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when, they when, when light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. 
This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, like those, uh, but, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you so much for, for uh, speaking to us through your word. And God, I pray as we read this passage of scripture, as we dive into it, God, I pray that you would illuminate it in our hearts, that we would see something that, that just as, uh, as, as Paul experienced you himself in the book of Acts, God, that we would have an encounter with the almighty God today, that we'd be forever changed by it. God, we thank you for air conditioning. We thank you for dehumidifiers. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So uh, how many of you had uh, to do chores when you were a kid? Raise your hand. You had to do chores. Now, I had to do chores when I was a kid, but I will admit it, it was probably a little lighter than like my dad growing up. He had to do, when he said I had to do chores, it was like manual labor on a farm. Um, so I didn't have to do those types of chores. I, uh, mine were pretty light. Mine were things like, you know, making my bed, uh, feeding the dog, things like that. And so I remember as a kid uh, getting, uh, my mom came up with this idea that she was going to get, I have an older brother and an older sister, and she was going to give the three of us kids a chore chart. Anybody have a chore chart growing up? Chore charts, are, I strongly believe, are straight from the devil. They, um... <laughs> So my mom came up with this chore chart, and at first I kind of enjoyed it. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a list maker. I'm kind of administratively bent by nature. And so I, uh, at first I kind of enjoyed it because I could keep track of everything. I was like, this is kind of nice and neat. I like, I like the order. But I was five or six years old, somewhere right in there. And I began to realize really quickly that this was starting to ruin my life a little bit. Um, that it was so much pressure. I, I don't know what it was when it was on paper. It was just a lot of pressure. And so it would have every day of the week listed and then these things I had to do. And as a five or six-year-old, my, my tasks were very easy types of things. And so I think my mom would like invent things. Like she put on there like brush your teeth. It was twice per day and it had these little boxes I could check. And every week, I, if I had all everything checked off, I could turn it in and I would get an allowance. I don't even remember what that amount was. Uh, but it, it, it was so stressful to me. And I remember getting to a point where I had like missed a couple of days, like I had forgotten to do a few things, and so I'd go like two or three days, and I hadn't made my bed. And so I would literally, I was kind of, I was a rule follower. A lot has happened since then. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I, I was a rule follower, and so I had said, okay, well, I'm, so I would literally make my bed, and then unmake it, you know, check the box for Monday. I'd make it again. I would make it three times in a row. Like just, that's kind of psychotic a little bit, you know. Um, I would brush my teeth. I'd forget to brush my teeth for like three days, which is disgusting. That's just hideous. And I'd forget to do that. And uh, I still have my teeth, thank God. But I, uh, you know, would forget to do that. So I would go, my mom caught me one time and I was brushing my teeth like seven times in a row. <laughs> like brush them, spit it out, do it again. And it was just crazy. And I remember it all came to a head one day, and I was just like, I can't take it anymore. I'm freaking out. I, I just, it's overwhelming to me. 
And I brought the chore chart to my mom, and I said, Mom, I can't do this anymore. I was weeping. I was just crying, and she's like, what's wrong? And I'm trying to articulate as a five or six-year-old that this is stressing me out. I don't know exactly what I said, but I, I kind of just, you know, got that sentiment out there. And I remember my mom, it was a green sheet of paper. She took it, she ripped it in half, and she said, Ryan, you don't have to do the chore chart. It's fine. This is, this, it's not worth it. And she was, I, I appreciated that moment very much. It, like this huge relief that I felt uh, in that moment. But I tell you that story, it actually has nothing to do with my sermon today. I just, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> No, that story, for me, I'm just, I'll just talk personally here. I, I so often, if I'm not careful, when I read through Scripture, if I'm not careful, it's easy for me to read Scripture through that chore chart type of a lens, through this list of do's and don'ts. And it's almost overwhelming at times when you read through it, and it's like, man, all these things that I have to keep straight, like I have to... You know, right here in, this, in these 20 verses, there's 14 commandments. There's 14 things that Paul is saying that we either need to not do or do. Uh, the do nots, he says, don't engage in sexual immorality or impurity. Uh, do not engage in covetousness. Do not engage in filthiness, foolish talk, or crude humor. Do not associate with sinful behavior. Do not take part in works of darkness, but expose them. Do not get drunk. Then he goes and on the, the do side. He says, imitate God. Walk in love. Walk as children of light. Discern what pleases God. Walk as wise. Be filled with the Spirit. Sing songs to God and give thanks. You go through the Old Testament. Just in the first five books of the Old Testament, there's 613 Jewish laws in the first five books of the Old Testament. You would think, well, uh, you know, it's it's New Covenant now. I'm under the the New Testament. Well, the New Testament has 1,050 commandments. Just like, you know, there are 14 of them are right here in these 20 verses. And if we're not careful, I think it's easy to get caught up and become overwhelmed by that. When we read through Scripture and it's just like, man, there's just so many things that I— like, I got to memorize like 1,700 commandments, and, and I got to make sure that I, you know, I'm doing all these things, and, and we can get to a point of being overwhelmed really quick when we read Scripture that way. But I want to offer you a thought today, and it's, it's not an original thought of mine. It's not new. It's not a new thought, but maybe it'll be helpful. I, I, it's, it's been helpful to me over the years. I don't think the Bible was meant to be read that way. I don't think God, uh, you know, just is, is, is about just behave and make sure that you, you follow all of, the, all of these commandments. I don't think that's the heart behind Scripture. I want to offer you one thought today that um, will be kind of just the one major thought, and so I'm a pretty simple guy, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it, but simply this. The Bible is not about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. The Bible is not about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. Therefore, God is not about behavior modification. He's about heart transformation. God's heart is not that we would just simply conform to all of these rules. Just do this, do this, do this. Don't do this. Watch out here and do this. In fact, an atheist could do that, to be quite honest with you. Like, that doesn't take faith in God to just follow these rules. That's not his heart. His heart is that our heart would be transformed that we would genuinely want to conform to, to these commandments, not because we have to, 
but because we're so in love with Jesus that we so have this relationship, that we have this trust in him. And not that we shouldn't read these, not that, you know, we should dismiss these, but they become less about behavior and they become more about heart. And we read this and say, man, this, this, this passage of scripture says, you know, don't engage in filthiness, foolish talk, or crude humor. Do I do that? And, and if that's something you struggle with, that you say, man, maybe there's something that in my heart that's not right. Maybe I need to get my heart right. Not just stop doing that, but is my heart where it needs to be? That's why the Bible talks so much about our heart, the condition of our heart. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Jesus takes that a step further in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18 and 19. He says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. All of these things, these aren't just things that just happen. They're things that are deep-seated in our hearts. We'll experience a heart transformation. I believe we don't need to worry about behavior modification. Now, let me give you a quick example. Let's just say that, that there's a guy named Larry. We'll call him Life Church Larry, okay? This is not a real person. Sorry if your name is Larry. Life Church Larry, let's say that he uh, is not a Christ follower, and he, um, you know, let's say he struggles with this one that we just talked about, filthiness, foolish talk, crude humor. Man, he, Larry just struggles with, the way he talks, he's very crude, he, he tells dirty jokes, he swears a lot, and, and so, but Life Church Larry is not a Christ follower, but then he comes to a saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, and he gets what we would call, he gets saved. He has relationship with Jesus. And he reads this passage of scripture and says, okay, that's something I need to work on. That's, uh, I'm probably not supposed to talk that way anymore. And so Larry installs a, a filter on his heart. And he says, I'm just going to make sure that when I'm in certain settings, when I'm around these people, when I'm at church, when I'm at, I'm at life group, when, you know, I got to make sure that I just kind of clean it up. I got to make sure I don't tell those jokes in that setting. That's not appropriate for that setting. So I'm going to just kind of clean it up. What Jesus would say is that that will eventually break down. That filter that you installed will eventually not work. Because what is in your heart will eventually come out. It might take some time, it might take years, but if you don't deal with what is in your heart, it will eventually come out in the form of sin. And so Jesus says you need to deal with your heart. We love behavior modification. We like saying, okay, I'm just gonna make sure I don't do this and don't do this and don't do this, because that's easier. That's much easier than having a heart transformation. But God is calling us, and I think through this passage of scripture, Paul's point is not, behavior. His point is heart. And so how do we do that? How do we experience that? And so I'm, I, I, not to negate all of the do's and do nots that Paul puts in this passage of scripture, I think we could spend a lot of time here today just breaking down each one of those, and I decided I'm not going to do that because I think there's a bigger macro level type picture that, that Paul is trying to paint here. How do we do that? The first thing we see in verse one is be a child of God. You don't have to do anything that's not anything, that's not an action, that's just simply, that's just be a child of God. There's the, if, if I were to, to give a thesis statement for Christian living, it would be verse 1 of this passage of Scripture. Verse 1 says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because 
You are his dear children. Paul uses this, this terminology quite a bit in Scripture. He talks about being a child of God. And he even takes that a step further and often uses the, the, the phrase to be adopted by God. And I love that phrase in particular because I think it really paints the picture of what Christ did for us when he died on the cross, that, that he adopted us into his family. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, he talks about adoption. Paul talks about adoption several times throughout his writings in the New Testament. But that's really what the gospel story is. It's that we've been adopted by God. Now, in, in this day and age in the Roman Empire, adoption would have maybe looked and, and had a different amount of significance than it, than it does today. I think it's st the, the analogy still, I mean, it still works very well because we understand what adoption is. There's many families in, in Life Church that have adopted children, and uh, just an absolutely beautiful thing that happens. I think that's so much the heartbeat of God. But in this day and age, um, kids were not revered much at all. Um, there were many people that would consider kids somewhat worthless. Um, they would, you know, infant mortality rates were really, really high. Um, in fact, 40% of children would not make it to their fifth birthday. They would often wait a week to name children in this, in this time because it was so, so often the child would die. And then the, furthermore, there were families that if, the, if you were a poorer family and you couldn't afford kids and you had a kid, and I'm not saying this to be crude or gross or anything, just to, to paint, paint the picture here, they would literally throw the babies away. They'd bring them to the town dump. Sometimes they'd bring them to the wilderness and just set them out there, literally just to be left for dead. There was oftentimes families that they were trying to have a boy because they could they, they would pass their inheritance and their name would go through the boy. And so if they had a few girls before they had a boy, they, a, lot, a lot of times they would literally throw those girls away. There were boys that would be, be, be thrown away. And what would happen oftentimes is that there was extremely evil people that knew that this was something that would happen in their empire. And so they would go to the town dump they would go to the wilderness and they would take these babies, not to adopt them into their family, they would take them and, and raise them so that they could sell them into slavery, they could sell them into prostitution, they could sell them to the gladiator games to literally be killed and mauled by animals, that, that's what they did. And then Jesus comes along and, and, and starts to preach a gospel that's very different when it approaches children. You know, people are trying to push the children away and Jesus is saying, no, 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 let the children come to me. That would have been revolutionary. That was something that was not done. He says things like, actually, all you adults could learn a lot from these kids. You need to have the heart like a child. You need to have the faith of a child if you're going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so what began to happen is that there was this revolution that took place where there was Christian families, Christ follower families, that would take it upon themselves to try to get to the town dumps or get to the wilderness before other people would. And they would find these babies and they would take them and they would take them into their home and they would literally adopt them as children of their own. They would raise them and they would love them. They'd put a roof over their head. And that's really, in this context, what adoption was. That's what that meant to these people. And so when Paul says that you've been adopted as a child of God, that would have a, a, a different level of significance to them. They would literally mean, okay, God has rescued me. God has taken me from this lifestyle that would I, I, was, I was either going to die or I was going to just have a terrible, terrible life. 
And God snatched me up and rescued me and adopted me and put, I bear his name now. That's the picture of being a child of God. When we wrap our hearts around that, I believe it changes the way we live. When we really wrap our hearts around the fact that we've been adopted as children of God, we begin to, to want to know the Father. And the Bible says we'll begin to imitate him. That'll be just second nature to us. I mean, you've seen this. If you have kids of your own, you've seen that they imitate you. <laughs> sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. Um, you know, there's, they're on both sides of the story. But uh, little boys, for example, that have a father who love and adore them will want to grow up to be just like their dad. I have three boys of my own, and I'm certainly by no means even close to perfect, but I love my boys. And as a result, I see them copy me all the time, imitate me. I mean, just the other day, I get out of my car and almost trip over a, a trike that's just sitting there. And so I get it, and I'm kind of frustrated. I move it over to, okay, the bikes go over here, kids, right? Okay, just let's, let's make sure we keep them over here so we don't run them over with the car or anything like that. And my two-year-old says, Dad, that's my parking spot. <laughs> and, every, you know, he parks it right next to where my car goes and, you know, whatever. It is imitate you. I could give you a lot of stories just like that. Little girls who have a dad who loves and adores them will grow up not to want to be like their dad, but to want to marry somebody like their dad. So it is with God. We have a God who absolutely adores us. We should want to imitate him, and that's what Paul is saying. Just as a father, just as a son imitates his father, so it should be as children of God. I just think it, it, it absolutely changes our hearts. It changes the way we live our life when we really see that our position in Christ is child of God. It changes us. The second thing Paul says in verse 4 is he says, be grateful. This is a real simple one. Um, in concept, difficult in practice, I believe. It, he just says, be grateful. Ephesians 5 verse 4 says, Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Paul says the antidote to these sins that he's talking about, you know, foolish talk, coarse jokes, obscene stories, the antidote to that is thankfulness. It's not what you would expect. I mean, I, honestly, when, I, I wouldn't connect the two. But he says, when you have a grateful heart, it's very difficult to be selfish. It's very difficult to covet. It's very difficult to commit adultery when you're content with your spouse. It's very difficult to live a lifestyle of sin when you are completely grateful for what God has done for you, for every blessing that you have. And that, that's exceedingly difficult in America, I believe. I, I think in our culture, I love the country that we live in, but it's very difficult sometimes to be grateful. And you know that that's, it's countercultural to be grateful in America. And you could see that just through the things that we argue about, you know? I'm not going to get political, but just a few of the things that, that we argue about in this country. We, healthcare, that's something over the last several years has been a big hot-button issue talk about, you know, the, the, you know uh, it's everybody's right and, and so on and so forth. When 2.2 million children last year died in our world because they didn't have proper immunizations, just like that for us would be basic, fundamental, preventative care types of things. When we talk about minimum wage, that whole discussion, 
We need to make more money, all of that, when 80% of people in the world live on less than $10 per day. Or we talk about gas prices, and, and they're low right now, so not as much uh, talk about that, but when they're high, man, it took, took me, you know, it cost me 50 bucks to fill up my car or whatever. When 8% of people in the world don't even own, or excuse me, only 8% of people in the world own cars, 92% don't even have a tank to fill. This is not a discussion that they have. Or energy independence, there's 1.6 billion people in the world who live without electricity. We talk about the broken educational system and how, how bad it is and so on and so forth when one billion adults don't even know how to read or write. And I say that not because I don't think that those are things that we shouldn't talk about. I think that there are problems that need to be fixed. There are things that do have, need to have discussion. But I say that only for the point that sometimes we need to put into perspective and realize how good we have it and to simply just be people who are grateful. When our needs are met, it's very difficult to be grateful. It's way harder to be grateful when your needs are met. And when we become ungrateful, we begin to forget about God. And when we forget about God, sin is lurking right around the corner. We see this happen with the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy. This isn't a new problem, but it, there's something that happens when our basic needs are met that we become to be less and less grateful as a people. And Moses is about to, you know, the Israelites are about to go into the promised land. They've been in hundreds of years of slavery. Just terrible lifestyle, and finally they get a land of their own. They're going to have resources. I mean, life is about to get really, really good for the Israelites in, in the book of Deuteronomy. And that whole book is devoted to Moses basically giving some, some warnings. He's, he's reminding the Israelites of some things. And he says this, and I think this is so apropos for where we live in America today. Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 11. He says, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We need to be people who never forget how good we have it and how, how many blessings that we have. As, as a family, um, we don't do this perfectly, but something that we really try to do, maybe this will be helpful, um, with our kids every single night is we, we pray, and I, I say every single night, I'd say 98% of the time, okay? I'll, I'll admit there's nights that we miss. We try to as much as possible. We all, we, we, we pray as a family. And if you can talk, then, then you have to pray, okay? So uh, once you kind of hit that age, you, you pray. And so right now we're working with our two-year-old Eli to kind of, he's figuring that out a little bit. Has some off-the-wall prayers sometimes that we have to correct from time to time. Like, oh, let's not, you know, maybe say it this way. And you know, So we're, we're, we're teaching them. But the only stipulation when you pray is that you have to say something that you're thankful for. Just one thing, just have to say something that you're thankful for. And that's how they start their prayer. And so there's some crazy things that, get, that, that we thank God for in our family. I mean, I, I, just last night, uh, we thank God for Paw Patrol and we thank God for Spider-Man, okay? You know, <laughs> that's okay. Um, ben has thanked God for Walmart before, you know? Uh, <laughs> We thank God for new underwear. I mean, it's just, that's just, it's fine. Um, but just thank God for something. Create a culture 
within your family that you're just thankful. You say, we're, we're going to be a family that we're going to be grateful. We're going to thank God for what he's done for us. I could talk a lot more about that, but we'll move on. The third thing that Paul says is be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. He says in, in skipping down to verse 18, he says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, in Scripture, there's, there's a couple different types of fillings of the Holy Spirit. There's, there's, a, there's one that happens at salvation that, with, with the Holy Spirit filling you. There's a subsequent event that happens that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm not here to explain either one of those today because I don't think that's what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about either. He's not talking about an event that happens. He's talking about a day-in, day-out discipline of being filled with the Spirit. In fact, maybe a better translation would be that we would be repeatedly filled with the Holy Spirit. That we would have a day-in, day-out filling of the Holy Spirit. He compares it, he uses an interesting analogy, he compares it to drunkenness, he compares it to drinking wine. And I actually don't think his point here is to even talk about alcohol, although I think he is making a point that drunkenness is a sin. And, and but so often you hear this, this passage preached on when it comes to alcoholism and, and, and whatever. I don't think it's talking about that. He's just simply using it as an analogy. He's saying, you know, the same way that people get drunk, which leads to really bad things, by the way, and that's, not, that's sinful. But you know how people do that? And they'll spend hours drinking. And in this day and age, it would take hours of drinking. I mean, the, the, we're talking about really, really weak alcohol content, really weak wine. We're not talking about, you know, alcohol that we have today. He's saying you would have to drink for hours to get drunk. You would have to purposefully, like intentionally, drink for hours to get drunk. He's saying the same way that people do that is the same way that we need to drink the Holy Spirit, that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and when do we know that we're filled? I don't know. It's going to take hours, though. It's going to take a long time. It's not something that's just going to happen instantly. Like, you can just have one little shout-out prayer, and, okay, I'm, I'm filled. I'm good to go for the day. He's saying, no, no, no. This is something that is something that's going to take a little bit of time, but it's something that we need to do every single day. And you might ask the question, well, okay, great. How do I do that? And Paul gives us very specific, he said, it's almost like he knew that that question was going to be asked. He gives us very specific um, in, in the very next verse on how you are filled with the Holy Spirit day in, day out. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. What? Singing? Yeah, yeah, singing. Paul would say, yeah, it's about, it, it's singing songs. Not, not just singing them, but singing them from your heart. It has to be genuine. He says there's something that happens. Not only is God honored when we do that, but there's something supernatural that happens when we do that. When we are filled with God's presence, we are filled with his Holy Spirit. Wait, Paul, what? So when we sing together at church, when we, when we do that, that's not just Christian karaoke. That's not just like, hey, just, that's just, we're just singing because we like to sing and we like to sing about God and it's a good thing. And I, it's, it's deeper than that. And Paul would say, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. He's saying literally there is something that happens when you do that, when we do that collectively, that not only is it about honoring God, but it is about seeing 
our lives filled with the presence of God. Now, depending on the way you grew up, depending on maybe the family or the, um, the church you grew up in, this, this concept may hit you as either weird or not weird, strange or not strange. I'll just tell you, my personally, this is something that has always been a part of my family. And I'm not saying that we do everything right. This is an area that I think uh, my parents and my family, they really instilled in us as, as kids that, that singing is a big part of what we do. Now, I will say that my family, my mom's side of the family, very musical, a uh, lot of musicians. My mom was a worship pastor, so this was very much part of our culture as a family. And I never realized that it was abnormal um, until um, Amanda came into the scene, my wife. And so every time we get together as a family uh, and we're about to eat a meal, before we eat, not only do we pray, we also sing a song together. I never knew that that was weird, you know? Uh, I was like, that's just normal, right? And I found out that's, that a lot of families do not do that. Um, and so, and it's like eight-part harmony going on, and we're just going for it, and it's, it's good, and it's kind of intimidating, I found out, to people who aren't a part of that family. And so, but we do that. We do that to this day. We sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Sing the doxology. We'll sing songs like Come and Dine right before we eat, and maybe you don't know, you know, that those songs or whatever, but that we sing songs together. There's something that happens when we sing songs to our God. Because there's, there, there's times where simply saying how good God is and articulating it through words is not enough. There's something that happens through music that our, not only is it in our head, but our hearts connect with our head and there's something, that, there's, there's emotion behind it. And it's, it's something that can't be said in words and there's something beautiful that happens when we do that. And I know some of you might be saying, well, I can't sing. I'm, I'm not, it doesn't matter. In fact, the Bible says, just make a joyful noise <laughs> to God. It doesn't say it has to be on pitch or anything like that. And I think this is something that sometimes we maybe miss because we think, well, singing is for the music people. You know, it's for the people that are good at that. I'm not good at that. That's not my thing. Paul doesn't give any qualifiers here on your, your talent level. But he does say there, and we could give scripture after scripture after scripture. I mean, just read through the book of Psalms sometime. There's something that happens when we sing a song of joy to our God. Not only is he honored, but we are filled with his presence. So today I encourage you, I mean, I, I know we've talked about a few different things, but I encourage you, that this whole passage of scripture does not come down to a list of do's and don'ts. It doesn't come down to just gotta, gotta you know, keep it between the ditches, just live right and just don't, watch out for this, watch out for this. No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying, just let your heart be transformed. That Realize that you are a child of God, that your position in Christ is child of God. You've been rescued, you've been adopted. You bear his last name, so to speak. That you're a child of God. That Just be a person who's grateful. I think a lot of sin can be avoided when we just simply wake up in the morning and say, God, thank you. Never be a person who becomes entitled, but be a person who is always grateful. And thirdly, be filled with the Spirit daily. You know, honestly, and I know we've plugged it a little bit today, and it just so happened that this, that, that, uh, this album release happened on this, this weekend where we're talking about this, but uh, we do this CD uh, and, and we do it 
for that reason, because we believe that uh, you should be able to be filled, not just on Sundays, but you can take this with you. So we don't do this to make money. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. If we break even on this, we're going to be doing really, really well. Like that, we're, we're not trying to make money at all. That's not the goal. The goal is to say these, these are songs that, there's a cool thing to it, that these are songs that were written in this house. These are songs, many of them were written during series that we were going through over the last uh, 12 months or so. And so they kind of go along with that. But there, there's something that happens. Uh, there's just something cool about that, that those are songs that came from this house. And so I just encourage you, uh, and if, you, if you're more of a you know, Hillsong or Bethel, it doesn't matter, but just take moments where you're being filled with his presence outside of just on Sunday morning. Be filled with the Spirit. I believe when we do that, that it'll be impossible for our heart not to be transformed closer and closer to the image of Christ.